Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 5th, 2017. Of course, if you want to check out the show all the time, go to our partner, MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If there's something that I'm not on, let me know. I'll try to get on there, try to help you out, make it easy for you to consume the show. Well, we have... Uh, a pretty cool show for you today. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, also New York Sports Day. He's done some work for SNY, at Catino9 on Twitter. One of the more optimistic individuals that covers the New York Mets, and uh, he makes no bones about it. Has a book coming out, uh, Press Box Revolution, in April. We won't get too much into that today because the book will be coming out next month. But uh, Rich has uh, some uh, good experience in the in the press box and 
a good take on the Mets, and I'm curious, especially today, where I think everybody knows where we're going to go this week and, and what we're going to talk about. Uh, although Matt Harvey did have his first start of the spring, and I'll get to that in a minute. And by the way, I did speak to Rich before the Matt Harvey start, so just keep that in mind. I spoke to him this morning before the game, so you hear that in just a couple of minutes. But uh, I do want to get into Harvey, and, and, and it really ties into uh, what I think you'll see in terms of media coverage of these Mets young, young pitchers. I, I've talked about this before. But anyway, the, the real news is David Wright, and, and I don't think there was surprising news that came down earlier this week regarding Wright's shoulder, the setback. He's got an impingement in his shoulder. If you talk to Wright, obviously he's, I don't want to say he's downplaying it, but he feels it's a bump in the road in his rehab coming back from the hernia surgery. I think anyone who could go on WebMD or has had back problems or had something close to what David Wright has can acknowledge the fact that functioning in an athletic environment is not an easy thing, much less functioning at the level that David Wright is going to be expected to function playing professional baseball. So the odds that we're going to see David Wright again in a professional baseball game that means something for the New York Mets, I think are pretty slim. And if you got to you know, bet down in Vegas, you're going to bet against David Wright. Not because he's a bad guy, not because he's not going to try, not because you want him to fail, because you want to know something. This is next to Daryl Strawberry. This is the best positional player the Mets have developed in their history. And it's sad because I went back earlier today and looked at his career up until 2012. And right pretty much post-2008 got criticized a lot because some say he wasn't the same player. And when he did get hurt, the only year that he had a down year was 2011 to a certain degree. And that was the year I think a lot of these problems started when he had a, the back fracture, if you remember, Terry Collins' first year. But through age 29, the 2012 season, and you even want to throw in 2013 because he had a pretty good year, you could throw that in too. If you look at Wright's OPS plus and you compare it against – you go to baseball reference, you compare it against Hall of Famers – uh, this is a guy that's right up there with a future Hall of Famer and Chipper Jones, uh, better than a Hall of Famer like Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt right there in that co- co- company. This is a guy that, to me, had everything. Eddie Matthews is another name that comes up as as I as I scroll through the Hall of Famers. This is a guy that was on pace for that kind of end to his career. He was going to hit over 300 home runs. He was going to be the all-time leader. That's the only category, I think, left that David really has to master. And he won't. At the, at the, at the rate he's going, he won't get past Strawberry, which is amazing. And he would go down as the greatest man of all time and have his number retired. And now I don't know if that's going to happen. Because when you really look at it, since age 30, David Wright has been, well, first of all, the last two years he hasn't played enough to make any of his statistics really matter. Even though he wasn't poor in 2015, he actually was in 150 at-bats, wasn't too bad. But he's been a below-to-league average player, about a league average player. He was a little above league average last year. But that that's what the statistics tell you. Anybody who follows the Mets knows that David Wright over the past couple of years has not been able to catch up to the elite pitchers in baseball, especially right-handed batters who throw hard, who bust them inside. Defensively, he's been a disaster. He, was, he struggled early in his career defensively with throws all the time. 
He's always had a, a spotty arm. Now it's a matter of he physically can't do it. And this is sad, and it, it is a, a somber day if you're a Mets fan. But if you're a practical follower of the Mets when you got the news of David Wright, not that you're happy about the fact that he's suffered a setback. In a way, you're relieved that this is going to make this decision that the Mets have a lot easier. Because I think Father Time and the body are going to take care of David Wright and not the other way around where he's going to be healthy enough to maybe give this a go and really not contribute and then make a difficult decision for Terry Collins, who I've said really is going to have a hard time benching David Wright or taking David Wright out of the lineup. If you remember the Yankees, when Don Mattingly's back started to go, the big controversy in the early 90s was when they acquired Paul O'Neill, and then Paul O'Neill was hitting something like 350 or 360, leading the league and hitting, and there was always that debate, oh, when are they going to take Donnie Baseball out of the three-hole? And it was, it was tough. It was something that took some time for the Yankees to wrap their head around. This was Don Mattingly. But he wasn't Don Mattingly anymore. And I'll tell you what, I think what Don Mattingly contributed to the Yankees in 1994 and 1995 – although he wasn't the same baseball player, is probably more than what David Wright could give the Mets. He still was a very good defensive player. He still he wasn't a guy who could hit with power anymore, but he contributed in, in some way, shape, or form to the offense. I don't know if David Wright could do any of that stuff. So the good news is, is that now this makes it a lot easier to transition to the better player, which is Jose Reyes playing third base, better options like T.J. Rivera, at this point, maybe even Gavin Cicini. Recently, just as, as, as recently as an hour ago, Jim Bowden of uh, ESPN said the Mets are interested in Brett Lowry, who was uh, uh, released by the Chicago White Sox, former top prospect with the Brewers. Blue Jays has had a bit of a disappointing career. Not someone who you want to hand over the full-time job to, but if they could bring someone like that into this situation, there's another depth op- option, a veteran depth option, right-handed bat, that probably could hit better than David Wright at this point and is more versatile in a game that requires versatility. So as sad as I am to see that probably David Wright will have a career that will leave you wondering what could have been, I'm happy that I think things are playing out in the way that the Mets have the easiest decision possible. And of course, in a cruel way, that's not the best case news for David Wright. And I know from an an emotional standpoint, everybody wants David Wright to be part of this, which what we hope is going to be a team that could go deep into the playoffs because he suffered. And some of those years I talked about were through some really crappy seasons and some dysfunctional seasons. 2009 and 2010 come come to mind, the end of the Jerry Manuel era. At times when they collapsed in 07, in 08, he was the only guy hitting late in those seasons. Actually, if you go back to September of 2007, when and the offense wasn't the Mets' problem back then. It was pitching and bullpen. David Wright uh, hit nearly 400. And I could look that up before uh, we go to Catino. You know, you go to 2007, and David Wright, in September of that year, hit, uh, let's bring this up. I finally mastered baseball. He hit 352. Matter of fact, his final two months that year, he hit 12 home runs and 41 RBIs. Hit 394 in August. Had an OPS well over 1,000. Probably one of the better hitters in baseball during that eight-week span while the Mets were going south. 
I remember the excitement of Reyes and Wright in 2006, and I remember, I remember when Wright was brought up in 2004. And it's actually the ironic thing is when he was brought up in 2004 was as Piazza was declining, and it was almost like the passing of the torch. So now who's going to take the torch from Wright? Cespedes is, is obviously the guy. He's the main cog in the offense. But from a homegrown perspective, it's probably Michael Conforto. And he's had a good spring. So at this time, two, three years from now, maybe Michael Conforto will be in some ways the Mets' David Wright. The new version of David Wright. The guy who's going to carry the team. Or play a big part in the team or be the face of the team. Because he is homegrown. Whereas Cespedes is, is here for a while. But he's been imported. I think homegrown players have a different cachet when it's all said and done. So that's the big story this week. My take is that this is bad news for the nostalgia of David Wright. Bad news, and I certainly sympathize and don't want to see any athlete be put out to pasture. But I think in a lot of ways this is good news for the New York Mets where now this is an easier decision. This was going to be very clumsy, very difficult. And I don't know if Terry Collins could handle moving away from David Wright sooner than anybody else. I think he, you saw Bobby Parnell. He was going to keep going to his veteran, and he was going to believe, and he still believes that this guy is the guy that he inherited back in 2011, and he's not. He's not. So we'll find out what Rich Catino's thoughts are on that. As far as the Mets, I mean, a, a pretty much a wild game in Port St. Lucie today. They lose 14-11. Matt Harvey is the big story, and, and after all the goodwill of hearing about how good Jacob deGrom looked, how good uh, Noah Syndergaard looked, you start to see Zach Wheeler uh, pitching well in bullpens. You get your first sobering Mets pitching news as uh, Harvey's velocity is down, he had a stiff neck. I mean, look, you guys have to remember, not everything is going to be smooth sailing with these pitchers, any pitcher coming off of surgery. And I keep saying, if I'm the Mets... You have to control the narrative because the worst thing that these pitchers can get caught up in is trying to live up to the radar gun or to what the press wants. It's about being effective pitchers, getting yourself ready. Whatever they do, good, bad, or indifferent, in Florida over the next month means nothing. They could have a zero ERA and throw 97 miles an hour, and once the bell rings April 3rd, means nothing. So obviously hearing that Matt Harvey's got some aches and pains that his velocity's down. He, he he was getting taken deep by minor leaguers today. Fastball that was eminently hittable. That's not good news, but let's not all of a sudden overreact. The fact of the matter is Matt Harvey has a lot of work in front of him. He's coming off his surgery, second surgery in three years. He had an awful 2016. He has to almost recalibrate and get himself back, and that just doesn't get handed to you on a silver platter no matter how good you are. And right now, he's behind Noah Syndergaard. He's behind Jacob deGrom on that, on that depth chart. And, and who knows, maybe Steven Matz before things are done. But the news about Matt Harvey is far more important to what impact a player will have on the 2017 New York Mets than anything that David Wright. Unfortunately, as much as I love David Wright, unfortunately, uh, will bring to the table for this team. Uh, ne- never, me- Not to mention the intangibles. I mean, he certainly is a guy that we're all rooting for. But at the end of the day, David Wright is yesterday's news 
and the Mets that you see on the field today and the guy that was on the mound, that's today, that's tomorrow. That's what's going to get the Mets to ultimately win a championship. And would I love David Wright to be part of a championship team? Because I certainly thought he was going to be part of one in 06, and he was darn close in 2015, and it would have been fitting because of the time he put in. But the best laid plans don't always work, and baseball is a cool game, and sometimes the process and the outcome don't always match up. And certainly the time and the effort and the good citizenship and the process that David Wright has put in to be the best he can be, unfortunately, is not going to lead to where everybody thought it would be, which is a Hall of Fame career and a World's Championship with the New York Mets. Let's take a quick break. When I return, you'll hear my interview with Rich Catino. I had a chance to catch up with Rich right before the Mets uh, played the Cardinals earlier today. So a pretty good piece. Uh, Nothing about Matt Harvey in the start, but we talk a lot about David Wright. We get into some of the uh, roster and the positional battles. want to get a feel of what he believes, Rich, is the difference, because I feel a difference, and I've said this, with this year's camp versus last year. So anyway... You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can check me out on SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Rich Catino right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, and uh, joining me is Rich Catino. You guys know him on Twitter, at Catino9. Of course, he's a mainstay over at 98.7 ESPN, uh, New York Sports Day. He also has done some work for SNY. And in about a month, he has his book, Press Box Revolution, coming out. Rich, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me here this Sunday morning. How's everything going, my friend? Good, Mike. Always good to talk to you. How are you? How's the family going? Great. Can't complain. And uh, was thinking of you this week after I heard the David Wright news. I know you've been covering the Mets for a while. And... Um, thought of, you know, who better to ask, you know, what went through your mind when you heard about David Wright's setback? And and obviously all of us are hoping to see him back on the field, but reality is reality. So the end could be near. And I was wondering what your thoughts were. Well, I I don't think he's ready to even consider that yet. Um, It's a shoulder impingement. He will try to rehab it. I was hoping even a healthy David Wright wouldn't start the season until May or mid-May because of the bad weather in New York, and, you know, I'm a positive guy, and I, you know, I know David's a positive guy, too, and I think, you know, someone just needs to pull him aside and say, you need to get well, you need to get better, don't worry about what's going on, don't worry about what people are saying, get your best opportunity to do this in the right way, and, um, 
and see what where it can go from there. The Mets were not counting on anything from David Wright this year. It was a big question mark. That's why they've tailored this infield the way they have. Um, but knowing David Wright, I, I'm just going to say this from the bottom of my heart. I, I don't know a finer person I've ever met in 30 years of sports reporting that plays and wears a uniform every day than David Wright. And maybe my objectivity's clouded a little bit, but I'm still holding out hope that he can play because I think his presence is important to the success of this organization. And um, he needs some time to kind of get well and get better. But uh, I'm not ready to close the book on David Wright. It's a tough, and you know what, Rich, you said it well. It's a tough situation. Everybody who's met David Wright, I've had a chance to meet him professionally and personally. Anyone who's dealt with him a lot more than, than I, someone like you, has nothing but great things to say. It's a tricky spot for the organization because even if he does get healthy, we know he can't play every day. And then, yes, the leadership part is, is a big part of it, but you're going to be playing shorthanded on that bench. And there is some thought out there that if he can't get back to where he can be at least relied upon in a bench role, you know, it's almost better for the Mets to, to move on. I know that's hard to say, but you know, the, the pragmatist or the, 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 the part of you that wants to see this team compete and win – and looks at this objectively, that, that's got to be something that goes through your mind. Well, I don't think there's any question. I think, you know, the overall goal of any organization is to win a championship, and the Mets are a championship-caliber team, with or without David Wright. And I think that, um, but there's an affinity to him. Sandy understands it. The Wilpons feel very strongly about it. And the, the teammates do. And, and, and I'll just use one prime illustration. The guy that benefits the most from him not being around is Jose Reyes because now Reyes has a regular spot on the team. But in talking to Jose, and I'm very close to him, as you know, the last thing he wants to see is David Wright not in the lineup, even if it would affect playing time for himself. In, in a year in which Jose's got to try to start thinking about where he's going to be next year contractually. That's got to tell you everything you need to know about David Wright's importance to the organization, that the man benefiting from not being there, is that's the last thing he wants to see. And I think that says it all, and I think his presence around the ball club last year, even when he wasn't totally healthy sitting on the bench, it helped the team. And David knows that. David knows that his leadership is important to this team and, and very important to the team. He developed a close relationship with Johannes Cespedes from day one, despite the language differences. And that's going to tell you what you need to know. And I think teams need people like that around. Whether David could play or not is going to be up to doctors and rehab and, and some luck and fortunate um, times maybe. But his presence needs to be around this team. And I think that that's something that people outside watching the Mets can't really conceptualize, but I see it every day, and his presence is very much needed whether he's playing or not. We have with us Rich Catino, uh, Mets beat reporter, 98.7 ESPN, has a book coming out, Press Box Revolution, in, in about a month. Rich, can he play first base, you think? I mean, it's it's easier said than done. Uh, You've got to think that the throwing from third, even if he gets healthy, is going to be consistently a problem. Could you see him being able to help out over there? I mean, there's no DH, so there's really only a, that's really the only option right now other than third base. It really is, but if you're having problems throwing the ball, you still have to throw it at first base. 
you still have to throw it for the, you know, the double play and be there for the cutoffs and less. But the office impingement, you can't think about that. And then learning a new position is something you would want someone to have a whole spring training to do. Um, it's an option to look at, but it's not one that I would look at in the near future. It's one where I would look to get him back healthy, see how much he could play, and then maybe next spring training, think about him at first, particularly that you're going to have an opening at first base because in all likelihood, Lucas Duda won't be back unless he has a great year and sign him on a long-term contract. So uh, I think if you're looking at it that way, I think first base would be more of an option either late this season if Duda gets hurt and David Wright's around or early next season. One of the other things that this creates is some opportunity, and i got to think T.J. Rivera is someone that's going to benefit from Wright not being on the opening day roster. The way I look at it, you got the, you got. let's say they take 11 pitchers. you got the two catchers. you got five infielders uh, without David Wright. Uh, you got four outfielders, that's 11. Then let's say Conforto makes it 12. So you got two spots position-wise. And, you know, Rivera's name comes up. You know, that's, that's, that's right now because Wright wouldn't be one of those two spots. What about Gavin Shashini? Is, is there other names that you're looking at that because now Wright is not around may have opportunities to sneak on this opening day roster? I think T.J. Rivera is the number one thought in my mind because he could play a bunch of different positions, including some outfield if they ever need that. Um, I think it also helps uh, guys like Gavin Shashini, maybe even a Matt Reynolds, who Matt Reynolds kind of came up to the Mets, and whenever he was put in a big spot, performed pretty well. So I think he's going to be given an opportunity as well. I think it's definitely going to make, you know, T.J. Rivera on the team because I thought what the five infielders, meaning Wright, Reyes, Cabrera, Walker, and Duda, I thought Flores would be the sixth infielder. But now Flores is the fifth infielder. And if you're going to have a sixth infielder, it's going to be T.J. Rivera. So I definitely see that as, as helping, um, helping T.J. Rivera make this team. And then there's one more name that, that needs to be on the team because you said there's two spots. I think the five – I'm counting five outfielders with Conforto. So I think that it's an interesting idea for, for Terry Collins. But T.J. Rivera is the guy that I think will command the roster spot that David Wright has missed. You have to feel good about the team. Look at spring training. If you don't feel good now, you never will. But there's a different vibe this spring, in my opinion, than last spring, even though they were coming off a, a pennant last spring. Do you agree with that? It just it just seems like a different type of vibe. Yeah, it was a much shorter off season for them last year, and everything seemed to happen fast. I mean, they were playing through the first couple of days of November in the World Series. This year, by early October, they were done. So it's a whole other month to kind of, you know, get ready for the season. Uh, they obviously re-signed Cespedes and Blevins, and, and that was a big deal for them and Fernando Salas as well. But I think that um, I think it's the health that, and not that all the health things hadn't wreaked its ugly head last spring training. The thing I hear from people when I when I call them at the team, the thing I hear from them is that pitchers have to stay healthy. Well, ideally you want all your healthy, but the this spring and last spring, is they do have a Gazelman and a Lugo who've proven they could play in a pennant race as your sixth and seventh starters. 
That's if you're indicating that Wheeler is your fifth. But my whole point of this is they have to stay healthy, but it's not like they can't have one injury throughout the season or one month where one goes down a little bit and the other goes up a little bit. So I think the depth of it, and I was talking to a scout last week, and I I said to him, um, do you think the National League would be petrified if all these pitchers stayed healthy for the Mets? And he said, I'd only amend that maybe just rich. All of baseball would be petrified, not just the National League. So that gives you an idea of the kind of level of talent these guys have and when they're together as a unit, how effective they can be. And I think that that is, um, that is what I'm looking for this season. To me, the Mets have passed the Nationals, not by a lot, because the Nationals have bullpen issues, and they have some health issues in their rotation as well. They have a better everyday lineup than the Mets, but to me, over 162 games, pitching wears out. I look at the Mets as a 95-96 win team. The Nationals as a 91-92 win team with both teams making the playoffs. Great segue into my next question. I mean, you hear some great things after the initial scare about Wheeler throwing on the sidelines, of course. It's like with quarterbacks. They all look good in, in shorts. Let's see him in a game. But then you heard a report that maybe Gazelman is really the leader in the fifth starter race. And, and I think sometimes I wonder, is it even better for Wheeler to ease himself back into this with some minor league time just to make sure that you get the most out of those 120 innings and that he is indeed healthy? What are your thoughts about that fifth starter competition? And I'll even throw Seth Lugo in there because obviously he's an option for that as well. Lugo gives you a different look with the, the cur- overhand curveball, the spin rate. I don't know so much has been made of that. But um, both Gazelman and Lugo proved to me that they have what it takes, you know, pitching in a pennant race like they did. Uh, you may not even need a fifth starter the first couple of weeks of the season because of off, off days and possible rainouts and we all know how unpredictable the weather is in New York in April. So I think that I would like to see Wheeler not be on the, in the rotation at the start of the season, like you said, and be in spring training, uh, all extended spring training, to try to just get his, his arm and his body and his mind, really, back in the swing of things. So I think that that is important. But the depth of this pitching staff is really something that uh, is, reminds me so much of the Mid-East when – Frank Cashin went after pitcher after pitcher, and not even so much in 86, but in 1987, the year after the Mets won the World Series, I thought Davey did his best managing job in 87 because the pitching staff was decimated with injuries. It very much reminded me of what Terry did last year uh, with, with the Mets. Pitcher after pitcher went down, and they had guys like Terry Leach have to come in and pitch well. They had all kinds of things going on. And then when they finally got all their pitchers healthy, in September, and they had made a run at the Cardinals. Darling gets hurt in the Terry Pendleton game, so they never really had their full pitching staff throughout the whole 1987 season. But my point is, Cashin built it the same way Sandy did. Built solid pitching. The hitters will come. You can go out and buy hitters. It's a little easier to buy hitters, but have the pitching depth and have them under financial control. And really, when you look at it, the Mets have Harvey through control up to the through the 2018 season, and every other pitcher there in the next decade. So this is a long-term commitment to pitching. I think we're going to, we saw the fruits of it in 2015. We even saw it to a certain extent, even with all the injuries in 2016. 
But in 2017, this pitching staff is going to be a legendary one. It's going to be one that people compare to the L.A. Dodgers, ones with Koufax and Drysdale, with the Met pitching staff in the late 60s, early 70s. This has a chance to be an historic staff, and I'm looking for that this year because I think this is the year it all comes together. And the bullpen, I mean, it's going to be, uh, I don't want to say, too, you never have too many pitchers, but I understand that Familia is going to get suspended, but you got Familia, Reed, Blevins, Salas, those are locks, there's four. Um, Lugo, let's say, is, is five, and then you got Robles, six. So now you, you, that's really your six bullpen arms if you only go at one lefty. You take Familia out for the first, let's say, month, maybe Smoker, uh, slides in there, but Montero, you've heard some good things about. You have Josh Edgen. You have this little Chad Bradford clone, Ben Rowan. I know he's not on the 40-man. Tom Gorzolani struggled, but he's you know a veteran that's had some success. Uh, a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of ways they can go there. And uh, what are your thoughts? I'd love to have two lefties, um, and I'm not the biggest Robles fan either, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting how this could play out, uh, not just on opening day, but throughout the, uh, the course of the season. Right, I think Blevins was an important pickup in Salas as well. I think let's take Familia out of the mix for a minute. So your ninth inning guy is Reed, your eighth inning guy is Salas slash Blevins, your seventh inning guy is Blevins slash Salas. I think Robles fits in there. I like him a little more than you do because I think he has great stuff, but I think he needs to command his non fastball pitches better and when he does that I think he'll be very effective. I think Smoker showed me a lot late last season, uh in big spots against Big left-handed hitters of the Nationals in a, in a key September game that the Mets needed as they were trying to get that wild-card spot, getting both Murphy and uh, Bryce Harper out in key spots. Uh, so I think that you have to have two lefties in the bullpen in this division because there's so much left-handed hitting late in the game. You want to have two spins around before you get to your closer with lefties, and sometimes you need two of them when you're facing Freddie Freeman, when you're facing you know Murphy and Bryce Harper. Um, when you're facing the left-handed bats that the Marlins bring to the table as well. So I think that um, all of those things are needed with two lefties. So I think you need at least two. So I'd like to see Blevins and Smoker as the two lefties going into the season. It'll be a little easier with the familiar upcoming suspension if it occurs because that'll command that spot. So, But I think the bullpen is strong, and I think that's the biggest difference I have between the Nationals and the Mets. I think the Nationals have less of a starting rotation depth that the Mets have. They're good. They have good guys at the top of that rotation. But the bullpen, I don't know who the closer is. I don't know if Dusty knows yet. And unless they get someone before the start of the season, the Nationals' bullpen is a big issue. And it really is what, why I think there's a difference between the Mets and the Nationals, the starting pitchers certainly, but the bullpen – kind of is a big check mark in favor of the Mets over the Nationals. And I think the guys we've mentioned are all going to contribute to it. I love Terry Collins. I think the one thing he has to do better as a manager, and I think he does virtually everything well, is he has to, um, he has to manage the bullpen a little better than he did last year, not overuse guys, no, understand that it's a long season. I think Terry will make those adjustments, but – I think that's the one thing I want to see Terry do better than he did last year. And you never know if Reed has a really good April. And again, we're assuming that it'll be a full month, not more than that for Familia. I'm not saying that you know he won't close Familia, but you may see more of a closer committee um, if it comes down to that. Familia did he wasn't at his he was good last year, obviously 50 saves, but 
he was shaky at times, Rich, and, and Reed was by far the better pitcher last year. So it will be interesting how that plays out if Reed is very dominant while Familia's out. Well, and it's it's almost similar to the, you know, the Bobby Valentine days when Franco was the closer. Franco got hurt. He wasn't suspended. But Benitez took over that closer spot and never gave it back. So you never know what's going to happen. Um, Reed has closed in his career, which even brings it more to the forefront. Obviously, he was a lot less successful in the National League as a closer, but I think that he has the closing skill set. He has the mindset for it. I do think if he does well when Familia comes back, it'll be less of seeing Familia three straight days. That I absolutely think, that once Familia pitches two straight days as a closer, you know you have Reed who hadn't pitched maybe in those all of those games. He may end up closing, giving Familia a much-needed day off, and I think that's the depth that's going to help the Mets come towards you know September when they're battling for a division or a playoff spot, which I'm sure they will be. Uh, yeah, obviously, you're at New York Sports Day. Uh, you do spots on 9870 ESPN. You have your book coming out. Uh, I, I know we'll talk when that book is released, but what do you got coming up? Uh, Mets, obviously, with spring training, but let the listeners know everything that they can uh, know, where to find you and what you're doing and whatnot. Well, Twitter, the Twitter handle is Catino9, as you always give me great publicity, Mike, so I'm very appreciative of that. Um, 98.7, just, you know, I'll be on a lot. I'll be covering them on a daily basis. Uh, Maybe not necessarily going on every road trip, but certainly the divisional road trips. Uh, With Adam Rubin leaving ESPN, I'm sure that, you know, I'm told everything's going to stay the same with me, but it may intensify my role there in that they really don't have a, a website anymore that's going to command a day-to-day from Adam. So I'm sure they're going to be leaning more heavily on me. I miss Adam. I wish him the best. But I think that it's an opportunity, you know, to even be on the air more and give you insight of what is going on in the Met Clubhouse um, with in a bunch of ways, not just written or on the air, but exclusive one-on-one interviews, which you'll be able to have on New York Sports Day. We're going to have a podcast on New York Sports Day. It's a it's a website that's really been growing and growing a lot in the last year, and uh, it's going to grow even more, but my presence will be on there as well as ESPN on a daily basis. You know in this business, Mike, it's kind of like a financial business. The best thing you could do is diversify. And yep. I always tell that to people, and part of this, and I will go into my book another time when we come on, but part of what my book has is a chapter on helping young aspiring reporters develop a mindset And one of the things you need to do is diversify. Do some writing, do some broadcasting, do some ad sales. You know, understand that, you know, if you can bring advertisers to the table, it's going to make it a lot easier for you to get positions in the industry. So the book's going to take you through the last 30 years of of how people who did that well and certain people who didn't do that well, along with the great events of the last 30 years, including the 86 Mets, the 94 Rangers, the, the Piazza Clemens Wars, everything that I've seen in the last 30 years, but it's also going to give a solution to how to save the print industry. So it's a book I'm excited about. It's coming out April 18th. Uh, you can pre-order it on BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com as of today, and I'm excited about it. Um, but I also think there's a life lesson in there. Diversify yourself, and the other thing is, go for anything you want in this business. Work as hard as you can, but don't ever do it at the expense of any other person. Because if you do, uh, there will be a point in your life where you'll regret it, and it will almost eradicate what you've accomplished. And those 
for some of the things that are in the book. There's a lot of stuff about how Bobby V and Rex Ryan were treated badly in this town and Willie Randolph as well. Um, how I, I lived through racism early in my career in the 80s and how women in the locker room had a very tough time getting their feet on the ground because men treated them badly. There'll be a lot of stuff in the book that is controversial, but it's all truthful and it's all stuff that um, needs to be said. So um, I'm excited about it. And, um, and I think, Mike, you're someone that embodies the type of media professional that we should have more of in the business, works hard, plays hard, but also understands the game is not just analytics and sabermetrics, understands that you can use your eyes sometimes to define what a team, a manager, or a player should have done. So uh, it's always great being on with you. Uh, Rich, same here. I'm looking forward to the book. We'll catch up in April when it uh, launches. And uh, be well, and, um, and hope you're doing well, and we'll talk again soon, all right? You got it, buddy. Take care. And that's Rich Catino, of course, at Catino9 on Twitter. Pressbox Publicity is his book coming out in about a month. And you can check him out uh, at ESPN 98.7, New York Sports Day. New York Sports Day is a, a really good site that's uh, making some inroads, so check it out. A lot of great stuff about New York sports. Well, that's it. We're out of time. Uh, pretty cool show. And obviously, we continue this March and spring training to opening day. I'll continue to give you the uh, the weekly grapefruit roundups. We're trying to work on a couple of different things, We're trying to see if I could get maybe some of the competitive perspective, maybe get some of the beat writers or uh, some really uh, interesting, relevant blogs from some of the teams in the National League East. So I'm working on that. Of course, I uh, want to get some perspective again. I think we're going to get our buddy Kevin Kernan back before opening day because I always like to see what Kevin's up to down in spring training, and uh, of course, we'll keep covering any breaking stories that happen, which really this week was the uh, the David Wright news. So uh, continue to go to MetsmerizedOnline.com, check out the Talking Mets podcast, and uh, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media if you want to interact with me. I want to thank Rich Catino for joining me. Once again, you can check out Rich at Catino9 on uh, Twitter, and uh, check out his book and pre-order it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's Press Box Publicity. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'll see you guys next week. Take care.